I want you to get your Bibles out. We are going to be in two passages today. Uh, well, we're going to be in a few, but kind of the two we're going to start off with after I introduce this is Psalm chapter 43, and uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So uh, as you may know, we have spent the last uh, five weeks in our Can I Ask That series. And if you have missed any of those sermons, you can go to uh, our sermon podcast, which if you're using or taking notes or looking at the notes in the YouVersion Bible app, uh, you will find a link to our sermon podcast on Spotify. And so if you've missed any of those, feel free to check that out. And uh, we've been kind of focusing on questions of sexuality, gender, and relationships. And so we've spent a few weeks talking about that. And uh, tonight we are going to be shifting to respond to a question that was submitted last week that is outside of the topic of sexuality, gender, and relationships. Uh, It was important to address it, and then in two weeks, uh, Faith is going to be preaching a sermon. Where's Faith? I know she was, she's right over there. Uh, Faith is going to be preaching a sermon in two weeks um, adjacent to this topic as well. And um, we all deal with things as human beings. Uh, and two of those things, and some of us uh, feel these things to maybe a greater degree than others, but uh, two of those things are feeling anxious and worried. How many of you guys have ever felt, just by a show of hands, ancient, ancient, uh, wow, anxious or worried? Uh, every single person, if we were all being completely honest, like we have felt two of those things sometimes, like I said, to a greater degree than others. Um, No matter your background, no matter your upbringing, we all experience those things to some capacity. And I'm not going to talk directly about those two things because um, Faith will do that in two weeks. She's going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 6, not 5, on the Sermon on the Mount about anxiousness and worry. And so, like I said, I'm not going to talk about Um, those two things, but I do want to respond to the question that was submitted, and the question is this, is suicide a sin? To whoever asked this question, as, as we say with every, can I ask that sermon, thank you. Like, thank you for your honesty. We appreciate your honesty, and please know that we love you, uh, God loves you, and the people around you love you. And the reason that I felt the, the, Uh, felt it necessary to preach the sermon and kind of pause the sexuality, gender, and relationships was I feel as if this is a a topic that um, is not just a now topic. Like this is a topic that we have been interacting with um, for a long time. And we lament the impact that COVID had on teenagers. And I know the height of COVID was a couple years ago. I'm sure you've probably forgotten about it at times. I forget about it as well. Um, but I do feel as, as if this has still been impacting young people. And here's the thing. People have struggled with mental health forever, but it seems to have increased in the past three years. The disruptions to your routines, uh, friendships being impacted and affected, the stress and the tension that maybe your, um, your parents um, are experiencing uh, can all contribute and lead to mental and emotional instability. 
And when we get to a place of instability, whether it is physical instability, mental or emotional instability, um, we, they all contribute to us choosing to cope with that pain in, in a few different ways. Um, oftentimes there's two categories. There are categories that we cope with our pain in a, in a healthy way, in an unhealthy way. Um, when people feel alone, they sometimes use video games. Sometimes when people are alone, um, they use texting. They use self-harm, easy eating disorders, social media, thoughts of suicide, YouTube, or porn to deal with and cope with their emotions. And I want to say that simply because you are addicted to or struggling with any of those things or any of the things that I did not mention does not disqualify you. I want you to catch this. It does not disqualify you from being in close proximity to the person and redemption of Jesus. You know, oftentimes there is this thought that if I struggle with any of these things, if I am addicted to anything, whether it is a substance or not, we can feel as if that disqualifies us from being in relationship with Jesus or even being able to step foot into a church building. And our leaders want you to know that we care about you, we love you, we are here for you no matter, and we are honest about and we're serious about this, like no matter what you're feeling or experiencing. And we want you to create healthy, patterns to cope with the things that you experience. And there are many reasons someone may not uh, voice their struggle with mental health. One of the reasons we may not voice our struggles is that we sometimes feel a stigma around mental health and thoughts of suicide. Within the church context, some adults and teenagers don't feel like they can talk about these things because they can feel like they don't have enough faith that if they struggle with these different things, that they don't trust God enough. And if they were better Christians, they wouldn't struggle with these things. And this doesn't have to be what you experience. People's experiences, like I said a few moments ago, they're all different. But it seems that stress, trauma, and hurt can all lead to a person to doubt their self-worth. And I want you to think about these two questions. These two questions are in your U-Version version notes, and they will also be on the screen. The two questions are this. Who is an adult that you can trust, that you can be honest about your feelings? And what hurts might have caused these thoughts that I have? I want you just to take just a, just a second. I want you to think about that. I want you to answer that in your mind. I want you to maybe write it down if you're taking notes. Like, who is the person, who is the adult that you can share your honest feelings with, and what do you feel like might have caused those thoughts that you have? Because here's the thing, when you don't talk about it, those feelings fester and they grow and they deepen in your mind. And when you talk with that trusted adult, uh, an idea that I have or, or I've read is sharing with them, like this is what has crossed my mind. This is what I was feeling and this is what I'm struggling with. And you have the option. You can be honest or you don't be honest. I would encourage you that the way to work through this is through honesty. And as I said, we as youth leaders want to be the people in your life who listen no matter what you're questioning or what you are walking through. And at the end of this teaching, I'm going to give us an opportunity um, and give you an opportunity to pray with a youth leader, but also to pray with one another because praying for one another is one of the purposes of the gathered church that's laid out in Galatians chapter 6. It uses the language of bearing one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... 
You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. So the image that the Apostle Paul is painting is of a person carrying a heavy load when someone is caught in sin. And so the, the phrase carrying each other's burdens describes the community of believers coming alongside of these brothers and sisters in Christ and helping shoulder the load that they may feel, being weighed down by the sin in their life. And helping shoulder the load is not just bearing the weight of sin. This, this also applies to bearing the weight of loss. It, it also applies to bearing the weight of pain or hurts that a believer may experience in their life. And here's the deal. As Christians, we are to, be, we are to have eyes to see struggling people, and we are to help shoulder the burden through our presence and prayer. And Paul also warns that in the, your shouldering of burdens, don't become tempted to think of yourself as more, in person, more important as the person who's struggling. Because just because you are not struggling in that moment does not mean that you are above them or that you are better than them. And he says that when you shoulder this burden, you fulfill the law of Christ. So the question is, what is this law of Christ that the Apostle Paul is referencing? It can be found in a couple different places in the Gospels. I want to read one of them in Mark chapter 12. It says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So part of your responsibility as a believer is to love God and love people. And when you are with people in their struggles and helping shoulder those burdens, you are doing both. You are loving God and you are loving your neighbor. So with that being said, as an introduction to tonight's sermon, let's stand together as Gracie comes and Gracie is going to read our text in Psalm chapter 43, verses 1 through 5, as well as Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me, rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God and stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, mourning, uh, oppressed by the enemy? Send me the light and your faithful care. Let them lead me and then bring God to your holy mountain to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed with me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. For I am convinced that neither death for nor life, neither, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, or, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gracie. You may be seated. 
So the word, the word suicide is never directly mentioned in the Bible as a, quote, thou shalt not thing. If you are familiar with, with the Bible, you might have heard of um, the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were um, ten essentially rules to help the, the nation of Israel um, in their relations with God, the way that they relate with God, and also the way that they relate with one another. And so there were these ten things that they were to do and not to do. And, uh, and this topic is not one of those things that we find on this list of Ten Commandments, but there are people who, uh, the people within the Bible who have died by suicide. Judas Iscariot, he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. After he betrayed Jesus, um, the Bible reports of him dying by suicide. The next one is the Jewish king Saul in the Old Testament, and there are a few others. I believe there are seven total. Um, Others in the Bible have thought of suicide as a way out of their misery, sorrow, or frustration they are experiencing. And oftentimes, knowing that when they are not on this earth, they would be in heaven. And being with God is far better. Um, The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. Moses in Numbers 11. The prophet Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. And the passage that we read in... Psalm 43 is the cry of a person who was near the heart of God and was faithful to God, who spent his life obeying God's calling and God's leading upon his life. And yes, um, he, was, he, he had his own mistakes, he had his own shortcomings, but he was faithful to God and he was experiencing deep agony and asking God to send him his light and his care. You may resonate with this author of this psalm. You may have asked the same questions that the psalmist wrote. Why have you rejected me? In verse 2. Why must I grieve and be oppressed by my enemies? Also in verse 2. Why am I so disturbed, anxious, or depressed? As he said in verse 5. And the writer of this psalm says to praise God because he is, quote, my joy in my delight. And so the, the, the psalmist um, realizes that where their hope comes is from God being their Savior. And so the writer of Psalms, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and the Apostle Paul never discount the feelings of the individual experience. Oftentimes when we're in church or as Christians, we feel as if that we have to ignore every one of those thoughts that we ever think. What they do, what these writers do is they redirect the person's focus back onto the one who can bring comfort and healing. And Paul would write in one of his letters to the Corinthian church, encouraging them to share um, He encourages them by sharing his personal story of his own suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and he will continue to deliver us. Verse 11, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. 
So Paul is reminding these Christians that the pressures he experienced, even near-death persecution, are, are all far out of his control. But it was not too much for the power of God to deliver them. And he asked the church in Corinth to be praying for them. And this goes back to the instructions that Paul gave to the Galatian Christians that we read earlier. He tells them to bear one another's burdens. So Paul knows that God is bigger than the issues at hand, and he asks people to pray for him amid his struggles. And just because someone prays for those struggles does not mean that those struggles will be instantly removed. Paul talks about a a thorn in his side that has been oppressing him for a long time. And God, he's prayed for these things over and over again, but God never removes that thorn in his side. And it's not a literal thorn. It's not like he fell in sticker bushes and he can't get it out. Like, that's not what he's talking about. It's like a deep pain or a sickness. Um, uh, scholars have argued of what it actually is. But at, here, here, here's the deal. At the core of suicide is the reality that a person's life is ended. Whether a conscious choice ended this life or if other mental issues clouded a person's decision-making, the reality is that this person is no longer living. Whatever thoughts came into their, their minds, whatever they were being tormented with, whatever they were processing... They are no longer living. And as Christians, and this person who asked this question and questions that have been asked uh, a few weeks ago, is this a sin? And oftentimes we, we have to look to, or oftentimes people look to Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. This is where the Ten Commandments were given that I was talking a few moments ago. And one of those Ten Commandments is this, do not murder. And it was given to the nation of Israel. In Hebrew, like English, there are words to distinguish between killing and murder. Murder being taking of a life without legal justification. Killing is an act of causing death, especially um, deliberately. And so suicide can, can be seen as the taking of a life without justification. And if this view is held, suicide would be considered a sin. And this is important. Please do not miss this. If you're not listening right now, please listen right in this moment. But the question is this, but is this a sin that can never be forgiven? And the answer would require us to understand how God deals with our sins. So what does God do with our sins? God forgives us of the penalty of our sins, and he will not count those things against us when we repent and believe in him, as said in Romans chapter 4. He removes our sin from us, John chapter 1. He remembers our sins no more, Hebrews chapter 8. God gave his son so we would not perish from our sins and have eternal life with him in heaven, as John 3 says. So because of these passages, we believe that Christians can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are part of the family of God because of their profession of faith in Jesus' work on the cross. I want you to catch this. Suicide does not determine a person's salvation. It is their profession of faith and repentance of their sin that defines their salvation. And Michael uh, Hoodman it's a long quote. If you want to take a picture of it, it's in your version notes, um, but it's also on the screen. And I want to read it for you because I think it encapsulates so much information into a small piece. As most people will agree with us that suicide is a sin, the debate begins, though, with the question of whether suicide is forgivable. 
Typically, a suicide-related question will be along the lines of, for God to forgive us, we have to repent from our sins and confess of our sins to God. If someone dies by suicide, they have no opportunity to repent or confess. Therefore, suicide is not a forgivable sin. Anyone who commits suicide is sent straight to hell. This is a quote that he's using from someone else. There's one primary problem with this line of thought. It does not recognize that Jesus died for all of our sins. When God purchased us with the blood of Christ, all of our sins were paid for. If a person who has truly received Jesus Christ as Savior, therefore demonstrating that they have been redeemed, reconciled, forgiven, and justified by God, dies by suicide, the sin of suicide was covered by the blood of Christ. Now, we can question whether a true Christian could die by suicide, but if a true Christian were to die by suicide, it would be forgiven. Verses that connect confession with forgiveness, such as 1 John 1, refer to relational forgiveness between a believer and God, not the judicial forgiveness that was perfectly accomplished by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No, suicide is not an unforgivable sin. Suicide is not greater than the price Jesus paid with his atoning sacrifice. And part of this belief system is that if you die as a Christian and there is any sin in your life that you won't go to heaven. And this this belief originally uh, came from the Catholic Church. And part of what forms this belief is that they believe that there are different levels of sin, that there are minor things and there are major things. And within the Catholic Church, you must confess your sins to a priest for those things to be forgiven by God. So if you die with sin and unconfessed sin and your life, they believe that you will not spend eternity in heaven. But we believe that Jesus's atoning work on the cross is and was the final payment for all of our past, present, and future sins. Now, we also believe that a believer committed to Jesus must produce the fruit of the Spirit with their life, and we are also to live our life with a rhythm of, our, of confession of sin. And so, yes, we are to live um, by confessing our sin, but there is a, a very prominent doc- doctrine found in the New Testament. And this, uh, here's, a, here's a deep theological word for you today. Uh, this is the doctrine referred to as penal substitution, meaning Jesus paid, penal, the price for our sin, which was death, and took the full weight of that on the cross for all humanity. So he took that in our place, meaning substitution. So we believe that suicide is never what God intends or desires for anyone. With everything I've said leading up to this, if you have persistent thoughts of suicide or self-harm, the most important thing that you can do is tell someone. Because the reality is you cannot do this alone. Here's Here's an illustration before we close. If a person came to you with a broken leg, what would you say to them? Just popcorn. What would you say? Go to the doctor. What? Just call him a loser? No, you can't call him that. Like, why did you fall? <laughs> okay. So if someone, if someone came to you with a broken leg, what would you do? You would get them to the hospital, wouldn't you? Yes. I don't, all, all, all of your joking aside, that's exactly what you would do. You'd be like, what the heck, dude? Your leg's broken. Get in the car. Walk on your own. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, 
you would, you would get them to a doctor. You would take them to the hospital. And as, as a Christian, part of the process of getting this, this person the help that they need is prayer and believing God for a miracle. But it also includes getting them to the hospital. And this might be a silly example, but we need the same mindset when helping someone with their mental health. We serve, friends, I want you to know this, we serve a God that is powerful. We serve a God that is a miracle worker. Miracles weren't just for back then, they are for right now, that God is a comforter and he wants to provide miraculous healing if it is within his will. We also need to be people who believe in and trust people with professional training and experience. One writer uh, put it this way, prayer is great, reading your Bible is great, family is great, but if you need to call a hotline, speak to a pastor or youth leader to get a counselor, talk to somebody about that. We need to start viewing mental health not as this other thing, but we need to start thinking about it as a sickness and as a disease that needs to be helped, not just prayed for. The word is just not just prayed for. Yes, we need to pray for and believe for healing, but there are people in this world that God has gifted to help us with chemical imbalances in our brains and to to deal with past trauma and hurt in our life. And I wanna end, you, I wanna end with this. We believe that suicide is not the answer. There is hope amid your darkness, your darkest thoughts and in your deepest struggle. And the big idea is so simple but so profound. Jesus is with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you are experiencing right now, Jesus is with you. And as I said at the beginning um, of the sermon, I want us to just take a moment um, to provide just an opportunity for us to pray with one another. Um, and, and prayer can be extremely um, uncomfortable, uh, but if you're willing to step outside what is comfortable for a moment, this can be a life-giving experience to know the people around you and to share those things. And so Luis is going to come, and um, Emma's going to come, and they're going to play acoustic guitar and play keys, and they're going to sing some lyrics, and these lyrics are not going to be on the screen. If you know the song and if you feel um, like uh, singing along, you can do that. But what I want us to do in just this moment, I know we're kind of running out of time. We're going to take about five minutes. Um, we want to give you some time and opportunity to pray with a leader or pray with the people around you. And so um, after I pray, I want, you to, I want you to do one of two things, one of three things, I guess. Um, I want you to either A, go to your small group leader and ask for prayer. And if you feel comfortable, um, bring your friend and pray with a leader. And this is not just for mental health. Like this is, not, this is not the only thing that we are praying for right now. We are exercising one of the commands given to the church is to bear one another's burden. So whatever you are feeling, whatever you are experiencing, whatever you would like someone to pray with you about, this is a moment for you to do that. This is an invitation for you to invite Jesus and others into your situations so that they can help you through these things. And here's the other thing I want to instruct you to do. Um, I want you to formulate groups of like three. Um, and I want you to go around the group, share something you could use prayer for if you're comfortable with that. And then if you feel comfortable, pray for the person on 
your left. Um, so in, in your circle, if it's Kyan, Zach, and I, um, I would pray for Kyan. Kyan would pray for Zach. Zach would pray for me. And I want, I want us just to, to, to get into the practice of praying for one another. But I want to say this. This is absolutely not a time to be goofing off and just to get into a uh, circle and scroll Instagram or TikTok or make jokes with one another, okay? This is an opportunity for you to step outside of what maybe is is comfortable and invite Jesus into what you're feeling because Jesus cares for you. The people around you care for you and the leaders care for you. So I'm gonna pray. Uh, Luis and Emma are gonna be playing lightly in the background and then we're gonna provide an opportunity for you to pray with a leader or your friends. So let's pray really quick. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. Lord, even in the midst of our um, instability, Jesus, you care for us and you love us. You have created us. So, Lord, I pray that over the next few moments, as um, we gather into small groups, as we gather into um, circles to pray for one another, Lord, I pray that we would use this moment not just as a tonight moment, but this would become a rhythm in our life where we share the things that are taking place in our life and that we allow others to speak into those things. Would you help us to see um, when people are struggling? Would you help us to see the pain in people's lives and not just look at it and go the other way, but pray for those people, um, offer to walk alongside of those people and help them to get the help that they need? So Jesus, we pray for the next few moments. We pray for openness. We pray that your, your presence would continue to be with us through the Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And um, there are some youth leaders throughout the room. Um, find a youth leader to pray with. Uh, huddle up with like three other people. Share briefly what you could use some prayer for and then pray for one another.